Hi there, and welcome to the media ministry of River Bible Church. I'm Pastor Dustin Daniels, inviting you to visit our website to download today's sermon notes. You can sign up for our newsletter and also submit a prayer request. We would love to pray for you and answer any questions that you may have. For more information, visit riverbible.org. Now let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 16. We are in the last chapter of Mark's gospel, believe it or not. We are going to be looking at verses 1 through 8 today. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles in the back there by the AV booth. That is our gift to you. We want to make sure that you have the Word of God in your hand. As you turn to Mark chapter 16, let me review from last week. We studied the burial of Jesus of Nazareth. And we learned how Jesus' funeral arrangements were divinely inspired. We learned how God the Father used men from the Sanhedrin of all, play, uh, of all people to give Jesus, his body, a proper burial, which led us to one of our key points from last week. When God changes our hearts, we change our priorities, When God changes our hearts, we change our priorities. And the changes in our life, they are visible proof of what we say we believe. And we ended on, uh, we ended really our study of Jesus' burial by asking this question. Now what? Jesus is dead, dot, 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 the end. Now what? Was Jesus a good man who who taught good things? Was he a good morally upright man and, and he died as a martyr? Is that who Jesus of Nazareth is? Is Jesus in the same camp as Gandhi and, and Buddha? And the Dalai Lama? Muhammad? No, he's not. And that's not our opinion, right? So opinions don't hold a lot of weight when it comes to heaven or to hell. So our answers are found in scripture. And and we look here, uh, the apostle Paul gave us the answer to that question in 1 Corinthians. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, then our proclamation to you is in vain. And not only that, so is your faith. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you're still in your sins. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Now, that's quite the place to leave off for a week, but I did it for a reason. Because Paul has more to say here in verse 20. He says, but as it is. See, that's a a statement of fact. This is not opinion. Christ has been raised from the dead. The, The resurrection is either true or God is a liar. It's one way or another. So make a note there for all you note takers. 1 Corinthians 15, 20, that should be highlighted in your Bible. Because God's word is, is true even on our worst day. Jesus still walked out of his grave. He still conquered sin. He still conquered death. Even in the moments of crisis when you have, and you still struggle to believe that. When you, when you start struggling to believe this stuff, Christ is still risen. It's still true. God is good, amen? amen. He's good. 
Paul goes on to explain some fundamental theology here in verse 21. He says, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam, everybody dies. As far as I know, it's still 100% death rate. Right? Also in Christ, we will be made alive. So dear friends, this is why as a, as a church, we meet on Sunday and we don't meet on Friday. Every Sunday we come to celebrate the resurrection. Every Sunday we sing songs, not to a dead man who had good intentions. We worship the one true living God. He really is alive. He really did die a criminal's death. He really did exchange his life for yours. Not only that, he, he, we're going to see how he walked out of his grave today, just like he said he would. So we're going to talk about the specifics of the resurrection today. And by doing so, we're going to conclude our verse-by-verse study of the Gospel of Mark. It's an exciting day. It really is. We spent the last 20 months studying Mark's Gospel verse-by-verse. 78 sermons later, (laughs) here we are. For those of you who are new uh, to River, all of those sermons are on the website along with all of my notes at riverbible.org. So as we dive into the resurrection today, we're going to learn here very quickly that none of the gospel writers include the details of the actual rising of Jesus from the dead. Not only that, but Mark's gospel ends in a very peculiar way. Some say that Mark ends the gospel in a very disappointing way. Why do people say that? Why would we differ in their opinion? Well, let's find out. If you would, please stand for the reading and the honoring of God's word. Mark chapter 16, verses 1 and following. When the Sabbath was over... Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome, they bought spices so that they could go and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise. And they were saying to one another, well, who's going to roll away the stone from the entrance to the tomb for us? And then looking up, they noticed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See? See the place where they put him? But go. Tell his disciples, tell Peter, he's going ahead of you to Galilee, and you will see him there just as he told you. They went out and ran from the tomb because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them. And they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. Father, the psalmist writes that we will always obey your instruction forever and ever. Amen. 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 Have a seat, guys. Thank you. All right, let's take a deeper look here at verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome, they bought spices so that they could go and anoint him. So right from the start here, what's Mark telling us? If these women 
These women disciples of Jesus, if they're carrying spices to anoint Jesus's dead corpse, what's that mean? It means they didn't believe Jesus when he told them about the resurrection. Jesus told them three times, Mark 8.31, 9.31, and 10.34. These women were not planning on Jesus walking out of his grave on that Sunday morning. And that includes his own mother, by the way. So question, why do the women want to anoint Jesus' body? Because if you remember, they, these are the same women who watched Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. They, they took Jesus' body down off the cross. They watched them wash his body and prepare it for a Jewish burial. We learned last week that Nicodemus had brought nearly 100 pounds of spices that were placed on Jesus' body. They were spread in between the linen cloth as they wrapped Jesus. And the women watched them do all of this. But here's what the women noticed. They noticed that Joe and Nick, they didn't do it the way the women would have done it. In other words, Joe and Nick didn't have time to anoint the physical body of Jesus with perfume and, and oils. Joe and Nick anointed Jesus' body properly, yes, but not thoroughly. So the women, they decided that they were going to be more thorough. They went to the trouble to buy these perfumes and oils right after the Sabbath day, was, which is over. So that's Saturday night after sundown or at sundown. The shops would open back up for a few hours on Saturday night. And by the time they purchased what they needed, it would have been too late. It would have been too dark for them to go directly to the tomb. So they had to wait until Sunday morning. Now, do you think these women slept at all that night? What was going through their minds? A lot of things, I'm sure. But what didn't cross their minds was the episode with Mary of Bethany. These women forgot about another Mary how she anointed Jesus with oil and perfume when he was alive. Remember, she, she broke this alabaster jar, a very costly perfume. It was pure nard, very, very expensive. She poured the whole thing all over his head, dripped down his body. The male disciples start to yell and scold her, and Jesus steps in, and we pick it up here at Mark 14, verse 8. And she tells everybody, she has done what she could she has anointed my body in advance for burial. Now, they forgot about all that. So let's see what happens on the, the, the following day here in verse 2. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise. So the Jews, they don't have names for the days of the week, only numbers. The first day of the week, that is Sunday. It's our Sunday, so that's day number one. And the text says, the women leave very early in the morning. So no, they don't get any sleep that night. We all know that sorrow wakes us up very early in the morning. So they leave in the dark. The sun begins to rise by the time they, they get there at the tomb. John's gospel gives us a little bit more detail here. John 20, verse 1. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. While it was still dark, she saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she went running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, and she said, they've taken our Lord out of the tomb, and, and we don't know where they've put him. So harmonizing the Gospels here, it shows us that several women went to the tomb in two separate visits. The first to arrive is Mary Magdalene. 
She either walked faster or she started at a different time. She gets to the tomb. She turns around and she bolts. She immediately assumes that somebody stole the body. So in her panic, she runs to tell Peter and John. It never crossed her mind that Jesus is alive. And this is where Mark picks up the narrative. So we have another group of women arriving when the sun begins to rise in verse 3. And they were saying to one another, well, who's going to roll the stone away from the entrance to the tomb for us? So the women, they are clearly grieving. And when we grieve, we, we just don't think clearly or, or logically. As they get closer to the tomb, they, they realize that they have a big problem. The big problem is that big rock that sits in front of the tomb. Uh, the male disciples, they're MIA. They're scared too. They're grieving too, but they're hiding. Uh, because the women, they, they wouldn't have had this issue if they would have had 11 men with them, the 11 disciples walking with them. But the women have no idea of all the activity that happened on Saturday at the tomb. Matthew's gospel tells us that the, the Sanhedrin, they went to Pilate. He asked the soldiers to guard the tomb. Matthew tells us that there was a localized earthquake that shook Israel. Uh, he tells us an angel shows up, scares off the soldiers, and then, then he moves the big rock. So by the time the women arrived at the tomb, they don't know any of that. The soldiers are gone. They come upon the tomb, and it's just wide open. You know, when they arrive, the women, they are still thinking on a purely human level. They're not expecting anything supernatural to happen. So in other words, think about this now. The women, they come to the tomb with no sense of hope. They have no hope. Jesus is dead, period, the end. Now pause. Can you feel their tension? Can you feel the angst in that? The closer they they get to the tomb, the more their anxiety rises. The more their anxiety rises, it creates more tension. Verse 4, they finally look up. They noticed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. Notice Mark is not really interested in the stone here. He just kind of makes a, a passing comment. He is interested, however, in that the tomb is now wide open for the whole world to see. Now, Matthew tells us that an angel rolled that stone away and then he's sitting on it. So the picture here is not that the angel politely just rolled the stone away. No, 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 no. An angel shows up and he hurls this stone away from the tomb. It's probably lying flat on the ground because because the angel's sitting on it. And he's just waiting for the women at this point. So key point number one for us. The stone was not moved to let Jesus out, but to let people in. The stone was not moved to let Jesus out, but to let people in. Now, I do want to point out something pretty important here. Notice the terminology in Mark. In verse 4, it had been rolled away. So this phrase, it's, it's written in what's called a divine passive. It means that the action itself points to God. So do we have a, 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 a conflict in Scripture? Because Matthew says one thing, and Mark says another. Matthew says that an angel moved it. Mark says God moved it. Is that a conflict? No. From a, the, a theological perspective, 
God is the primary cause and the angel is the secondary. So meaning God moved it through the angel. Key point number two. When the angel opened the tomb, Jesus had already risen. When the angel opened the tomb, Jesus had already risen. None of our gospel writers describe the actual resurrection. Jesus' resurrection had no witnesses. It utterly and completely is miraculous. Think about this. Jesus left the tomb silently. Is that what we would expect? I mean, wouldn't you expect the most extraordinary event in the salvation of mankind to be recorded in detail? Wouldn't you expect like fireworks and a parade? (laughs) Not with God. God's ways are higher than ours. God does many, many things that make zero sense to us. And this is one of them. Verse 5, when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. I I smile because it's just so subtle in Scripture. They were alarmed? That's an understatement. I mean, wouldn't your heart be like beating through your chest as you walk into this cave? You got to bend down. And you got to rise back up to walk into this tomb. And you're totally expecting to see Jesus, a dead body, laying on this this stone bench. And then all of a sudden, ah, you see a, a very live supernatural being in front of you. Matthew says his countenance was like lightning. His, his clothing as white as snow. So clearly this man is a supernatural being. So let's pause once again. If this were you, what's your first thought at this moment? Being in the presence of a holy angel. Your first thought is, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Uh, the, the sense here in verse 5 is that the women were terrified. They, they fall to the ground. They're covering their faces. And we see this time and time and, uh, again. Angels thrown up through Scripture. That is the normal human response to a supernatural being. So what's your second thought? First thought, I'm going to die. You're not going to die. Second thought is, someone stole the body. It's the same exact thought that Mary Magdalene had. Now, why did God send this angel? Well, angels are messengers throughout Scripture. It's angels who announce the birth of Jesus, and it's also angels who announce his resurrection. So verse 6, this is, this is funny. The angel says, all right, ladies, don't be alarmed. <laughs> yeah, right. And then he says, you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. So the angel tries to reassure these ladies of their safety. Ladies, you're not going to die. All right. Notice the clarity in which the angel speaks in verse six. He says, you are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. In other words, ladies, you're in the right tomb. You've made it here. And then verse six, he says, he has risen. He's guys. He's not here. It's like he has to reiterate what he's saying. The the women are in shock. They they didn't catch it the first time. 
most English translations translate verse 6 this way, that he has risen. Um, in Greek, the, the verb is passive. So it's written this way, he has been raised. He has been raised. Now that's an important distinction. Here's why. Saying that Jesus is risen implies that Jesus came back to life on his own. Now keep in mind that Jesus is the human sacrifice for human sin. So Jesus, as the son of man, he did not single-handedly defeat the grim reaper and come back to life. He didn't walk out of the tomb on his own. Instead, scripture states that God himself raised Jesus from the dead. Now you say, wait a second, Dustin. Isn't Jesus also God? Yes, he is. So, so stay with me. The New Testament teaches that Jesus was raised by the power of both the Father, Romans 6, 4, Galatians 1, 1, 1 Peter 1, 3, and the Holy Spirit, Romans 8, 11. So having different scripture verses attribute the resurrection to the different members of the Trinity, that's not a contradiction. What it does, it really affirms the unity of God within the Trinity. Uh, so the Trinity is a mystery. We, we all know that. But let's try to define it here and understand the relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the Trinity is defined as God revealing himself as a Father, as a Son, and the Holy Spirit with three distinct personal attributes, but without division of nature, essence, or being. So all that to say this, each member of the Trinity participated in the resurrection as they did in creation. How cool is that? Mark confirms that no one was allowed to see the resurrection itself, just as human eyes could not see the wrath of God on Jesus at Golgotha. Mark also does not bother answering questions for the skeptics. All right, how was he raised? When was he raised? In what form was he raised? Where's all the evidence? Well, the evidence comes in, in two parts pretty quickly here in verse 6. He, <clears throat> excuse me, he has risen. He's not here. And then he, the angel says, see, look. Can't you just see him pointing? Look. See the place where they put him? He's not here. So the angel is, is equally clear where Jesus' de dead body used to lay. So the evidence comes first. It's the empty tomb that proclaims the evidence of the resurrection. And then the second part is the disciples themselves. They are the witnesses to the, to the empty tomb. In fact, Luke's gospel says this. Uh, the angel asked them a question. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Ouch. Got an angel with an attitude. Just a little jab, you know, that reminding these ladies that they should, have, they should have come to the tomb not with oils. They should have come with anticipation regarding the resurrection. So the angel is the one who connects the dots here between the resurrection and the empty tomb for the women. Now, the angel provides precise instructions here in verse 7. He says, but go, tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there, just as he told you. He says, and Peter, make sure you tell the disciples and Peter. Uh, the angel wants Peter to know that he's still a disciple. 
Why would Peter no longer be a disciple? How did he get kicked out of the club? Well, last time we heard about Peter is when he denied Jesus three times. So as you can imagine, Peter is still living in agony over that mistake. Verse 7 is a public reinstatement of Peter into his apostolic office. And guys, I really pray that that's encouraging to you this morning. And here's why. Key point number three. Jesus does not give up on his disciples, no matter how great our failure. Jesus does not give up on his disciples, no matter how great our failure. Some people live their lives out of, their, out of the shame of their worst mistake. And it's a pretty good bet that that's where Peter is at this moment. I mean, imagine what's going through his mind. If I woulda, I coulda, I shoulda done all that over again. So the angel sends a message to remind Peter of Jesus's words. Remember in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said this to Peter. He said, Peter, you are Peter and on this rock, I'm going to build my church. Jesus gives Peter his identity and he says, the gates of hell will not overpower it. In other words, Pete, get ready. You're just now getting started. Get ready. So back to verse 7, he, he's, uh, the, the angel says that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee, and you're going to see him there just as he told you. Now, why would Jesus tell everyone to meet him in Galilee? Why not Jerusalem? They're in Jerusalem. Well, Jerusalem is, is fruitless. It is doomed. Jerusalem is not the center of God's movement. So Jesus is sending everybody back home. Galilee was the place where Jesus called the disciples. Galilee was where they learned about faith and compassion. Galilee is, is where they saw Jesus' healing power. It's where they saw Jesus' authority over the demonic. So it's in Galilee where they, they can regroup and really begin the next phase of discipleship. Verse 8, they went out, they ran from the tomb because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them and they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. These women are terrified. They are so frightened that their bodies are physically shaking. There, there, there is traumas, it's great fear. And at the same time, Mark says that they're also astonished meaning that there is a reverential awe. They just can't believe this message that they heard. In verse 8, they said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. Time out. They said nothing to anyone since they were afraid. Gentlemen, make a note here. These women had nothing to say. <laughs> Not one word. I think we have another miracle in the resurrection story. Key point number four. <laughs> Their emotions caused them to run away from both the angel and his instructions. 
all right? Their emotions cause them to run away from both the angel and his instructions. Now, in all seriousness, terror forces a complete silence on the women. They've got nothing to say. They can't speak. And here's the crazy thing. This is how the gospel of Mark ends. Mark purposely ends his gospel with the women disciples being afraid and running away. And you say, wait, 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 wait. I've got more in my Bible. I got verses 9 through 20. Yes, yes, you do. And to find out why you have more and why I'm not going to teach it next Sunday, you'll have to sign up for that fundamentals course on Wednesdays, because that's where we talk about the Bible and how the Bible was put together. You guys didn't think that was very funny. (laughs) Mark's ending is unlike any other ending in ancient work. Somebody said this about the conclusion to Mark's gospel. It's either intolerably clumsy or it's incredibly subtle. I would argue that it's incredibly subtle And it's incredibly powerful. You know, there is no doubt here of Mark being intentional. Mark provides a brilliant final point to his gospel. So throughout 78 sermons, over 20 months, we've seen Mark highlight the disciples' failure over and over again. And it's at this moment he he points it out once again. Look at verse 8. Notice how how many times Mark goes out of his way to include seven negative responses on the women's part. Look at this. They went out, they ran, they are trembling, astonishment, they are overwhelmed, they said nothing, and they're afraid. Mark intentionally does not sugarcoat the actions of any of the disciples. Time and time again, Mark doesn't focus on their faith. He focuses on their fear. And that brings us to our next key point. The disciples' failure can only be overcome by the presence of the risen Lord. The disciples, their failure can only be overcome by the presence of the risen Lord. When Mary Magdalene found the disciples, told them what happened, the men refused to believe. So nobody goes to Galilee. So when was it? Well, you know, at what moment did all the disciples start to believe in the resurrection? It, it, the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of John tells us it's only when Jesus himself shows up repeatedly in person. That's when they start to believe this. So what's all of this mean for us today? Well, I do pray that you find the ending of Mark's Gospel as encouraging as I do. And here's why. Key point number six, failures in life do not disqualify you from discipleship. Failures in life do not disqualify you from discipleship. Mark's gospel repeatedly shows us that God completes his plan for the church despite human failure. In other words, God has a plan, which does include you. And here's the best part. You don't have the power to mess it up. Isn't that good to know? God is the ultimate chess player. Mark's gospel repeatedly teaches us that there's no such thing as a super Christian. 
There will be times in your life to where you will be overcome with fear and doubt. And the good news is that since you're a disciple of Jesus, you don't have to stay there. And you certainly don't have to live there. You would think that the resurrection would turn these disciples from flawed, fearful humans into spiritual giants overnight. It doesn't happen. It does not happen. Key point number seven, because discipleship is not about following Jesus perfectly, but consistently and increasingly, slowly over time. Discipleship is not about following Jesus perfectly, but consistently and increasingly, slowly over time. Discipleship is about risk. It's about being courageous. It it involves us doing something different. Key point number eight, this this is important too. Christians still must live with both certainty and ambiguity. Christians must, must still live with both certainty and ambiguity. What do I mean? Our, our, we are to walk by faith and not by sight. We can, we can be certain that God will provide for us, but we just don't know how. We can be sure that God is a promise maker, but we're just not exactly sure how he's a promise keeper. We, we don't know how he's going to get us out of this mess. He says he is. We just don't know how. And this is why being grounded in God's word is just so, so important. Because otherwise, we just we live out of our emotions. And in a world that demands the dramatic, Mark's gospel seems to be anticlimactic here at the end. Why? Because drama involves an overload of your emotions. And yet, the Gospels all point to one thing. They point to belief. Do you believe the Word of God? Are you able to understand God's Word without all the hype? Is God's unfailing and inerrant Word enough? Or do you need smoke and lights and loud music? Someone who calls himself a preacher who's really given him given a TED talk with a verse attached to it. Guys, that's all nonsense. It's called manipulation, really. Question remains Do you believe this gospel? And will you believe it when all hell breaks loose in your life? Will you keep believing when you are utterly out of control? Nothing seems the way that it should be. Or are you going to walk away because life has thrown you a curveball and you would rather run away from Jesus and try to fix this yourself instead of running to him? See, Mark's gospel teaches teaches us how weak and how fallible and proud we are as human beings. It teaches us how to live with failure. The gospel is not about us. It's about Jesus. So quit trying to find yourself in the narrative. It's about Jesus. The gospel is about the power of God. And because the gospel is about the power of God, it is God who overcomes human dysfunction. Key point number nine, your walk with God is not based on human performance. 
It's based on the resurrection. Your walk is not based on human performance. It's based on the resurrection. God's promise of salvation is intertwined with with human weakness. In other words, God overrules your failures. He overrules your, your acts of temporary disobedience. Now, you still have to repent from all that stuff. You still have to go and make things right to the people that you sinned against. But, key point number 10, your failures are not fatal. Your failures are not fatal. The cross has cleared your record of being an awful son or daughter to your parents. Jesus' blood has removed the anger and the lust, your pride, the gossip from your life. Now, it does take time to to realize that, to live it out. And yes, our sins were once as red as scarlet, but now, because of the cross and because of the resurrection, they are white as snow. See, God doesn't see you the way that you see you. Dear friends, you're not an alcoholic. You're a child of God who struggles with drinking. You're not an addict. You're a child of God who struggles with habitual sin. You're not a porn freak. You're a child of God who struggles with lust. And I could go on and on and on, right? Because we're all on the same playing field. We were all once blind, and now we can see. All because of Jesus. See, the resurrection of Jesus, it proves that we are not who we used to be. Are we perfect? Nope. Perfection will never happen. So for all you perfectionists, give, us, give the rest of us a break, please. We're begging you. Quit trying. And then lastly, as a church, we have a job to do. Mark points that out. Mark ends his gospel with some unfinished business. And it is, it's so obvious here. This unfinished business is the preaching of the gospel to the ends of the earth. It's to share Jesus, in our case, it's to share Jesus with the rest of the Verde Valley. It's a, it's a serious business as well. Souls are at stake. Our friends are at stake. Neighbors are at stake. Families at stake. Jesus is coming back very soon, so there's a deadline on it too. We all have a job to do before the rapture. So, so Mark's ending here to his gospel, really it raises the question, who's going to do this? Who's going to tell this story? And that's where, he le- that's where he leaves it. Father in heaven, what a great place to leave this gospel message. Thank you so much for teaching us that it is the gospel that sets us free. It's the gospel that makes things right. Thank you for for showing us the impact of the resurrection here, that, that there's no way that we can mess this thing up because you're with us. You're the one who's going to give us the strength. You're the one that's going to give us knowledge. You're the one that makes us lovable when we don't want to be lovable. You're the one who provides peace when we're in angst. So Lord God, thank you for allowing us the privilege of going through the gospel of Mark verse by verse. 
I pray, Lord, it's not head knowledge. I pray that it continues to change us. I pray, Father, that you would give us uh, divine disruptions to our schedule, God intersections this week, so that we can indeed talk about this resurrection that we learned about today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.